Do you remember your childhood address? Now, some of you have moved around a good bit, so that may be tricky, but for others, I imagine that number, that street name, are indelibly imprinted upon your heart. For me, it is 543 Chisholm Trail in the small town of Wyoming, Ohio. I left 543 Chisholm Trail and went off to college in North Carolina, and I was given a roommate from Charleston, South Carolina. And I still remember the very first time we were going out for breakfast together to the dining hall, and we're standing before the breakfast buffet, looking at all the, the different items. And I, I look down at one thing in particular, and I say, what is that? And I expect him to respond, I don't know what that funny-looking food is. And I expect us to sort of have a, a shared moment of laughter and start to build a little bit of a, 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 a friendship. Instead, he looks at me with shocked silence. Then he goes, those are grits. And I go, I've never seen a grit. And then I say, are those what they talk about in that movie, My My Cousin Vinny? And he goes, I've never seen My Cousin Vinny. Truth is, we eventually became great friends. But these early moments cemented for me the fact that our home address shapes us. It shapes our assumptions, our preferences, our likes, our dislikes, the things we're familiar with, the things we're unfamiliar with, grits, movies, and not everyone's from the same place. That moment also made me realize that that when people ask that seemingly innocuous question, so where are you from? Where do you live? It's a far more consequential answer than we normally think at first. And so it's the question we'll be exploring this morning. Where do we live? What is our address? And then how does that shape who we are? But first, a little background from uh, the primary passage I'll be focused on. That's from Acts 17. Paul, in this passage, has been invited to the Areopagus, this platform that served much like a modern-day TED Talk where leading thinkers and philosophers would offer their latest insights and ideas for public consumption and debate. In particular, Paul is witnessing among Greeks who are some of the leading intellectuals and academics of his day, and and for the most part, they know very little about Jesus or the church. Verse 16, a little before our reading, actually makes it clear that when Paul first arrives in Athens, he is grieved by what he sees, or other translations have angered, provoked, stirred to deep discontent. Paul's ache, heart aches towards these people who are, who are giving their lives or their money, their allegiance, their time to, to such things that are so empty or dangerous or false. How can you not see the truth? How, how can you not see this is so empty? You might expect him to say any or all of that. But what actually comes out of his mouth the first time anything is recorded coming out of his mouth in Acts is, is this. Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. I went through your city looking carefully at the objects of your worship, and I, and I found on them an altar with an inscription to an unknown god. Essentially, the sentiment here is, Athenians, you and me, we're, we're not so different. I'm a foreigner, yes, but... But we have some common ground here. I'm, 
I'm a religiously devoted person. I've walked your city, taken time to learn about you. I see you're a religiously devoted people. Let's start there. Then verses 24 to 29, Paul continues this, this pattern of finding common ground as, as each belief that he has named has somehow or another is approximated in some of the ancient pagan beliefs. Paul declares, God has made all things and given all creatures life and breath. He would have gotten a lot of head nods in the crowd. God does not dwell in temples made with hands. There would have been a lot of agreement with, with that, that assumption. God has made all the nations and appointed times and boundaries for them. A lot of head nods with some of the prevailing beliefs. In God, we move, live and move and have our being. And here, Paul, that's not actually Paul's words. Paul's quoting an Athenian, Athenian poet as if to say, you know, what I believe you all have already so beautifully said by way of one of your poets. Now, I think we have to stop and, <clears throat> and pause for a moment and ask, what, you know, what's, what's going on here? I mean, do you know anybody who situates themselves differently on religious matters or social matters or political matters or the best way to respond to this pandemic or, or, or even situates themselves differently on an important decision before the family or, or that the business is going to have to make even more to the point do you know anybody or group of people whose priorities or positions or proclivities grieve you or provoke you as the Athenians do for Paul and yet Paul begins Athenians I see you are religious in so many ways. What is this bridge-building posture? Where does this magnanimous way, this empathetic way, where does that come from? Why, why does Paul go this way toward that sort of people? I mean, surely there is a time and a season for turning the tables in the temple as, as Jesus does, but, but so often Paul goes with this all things to all people's posture. And I think it has everything to do with Paul's home address. Where we live shapes us, right? Verse 28, Paul declares where it is we live. In God, we live and move and have our being. And, and Paul then goes on to name that unknown God specifically as Jesus Christ. In fact, if you were to ever ask the Apostle Paul straight up, where do you live? All of his writings taken together make it pretty clear Paul's answer would be in Christ. In Christ, I live and move and have my being. That is my baptismal address. That is my most fundamental place of residence. And, and your home address, right? It shapes you. Paul lives in Jesus. The same Jesus who loved humanity, not by pulling us all out of the muck and mire of our sin and evil and up into the heavenly realms with God, but right, quite the opposite. The word, Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus took up residence at our address in the midst of all of our stuff. Jesus meets us right where we are. No wonder Paul goes toward the Athenians who so grieve him and meets them where they are. He re resides in the heart of a God who, who ministers to others by moving toward their address. Paul's home address shapes his ethic. Or again, Paul lives in Jesus, the same Jesus who famously declared, love your enemies. 
and pray for those who persecute you. No wonder Paul's first word to the Athenians is not condemnation, but, but thoughtful love. For Paul resides in a God who ministers by loving enemies even unto the cross. Paul's home address shapes his ethic. And Paul ends his speech by making clear just how foundational this home is for him and really for the world. Verse 31, God has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man, Jesus, whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him, Jesus, from the dead. 90% of Paul's speech is bridge building, finding common ground, showing forth love towards these Athenians who he has taken time to research and get to know. But then Paul also declares the singular thing for which he cannot compromise, the singular thing that he cannot even really choose because it has been chosen for him. And that is that Jesus is his home. Jesus is a singular hope. Jesus actually is the world's singular hope. His speech declares that truly it is Jesus who has the final say about what matters and how things go because Jesus alone has risen from the dead. Jesus alone is stronger than death. The reason Paul is so generous and empathetic and thoughtful toward those with whom he sees plenty of reason for disagreement and even grief the reason for his approach is because he is firmly and unequivocally at home in Jesus, and he is deeply shaped by his home address. As much as we all have experienced some deep commonalities and even a deep sense of kinship with one another in this pandemic time period, we also see that some things are starting to fracture along familiar lines. The balance of health and economy, the sooner and later timelines, these all become points of contention. And then, of course, at any given time in our own family, church, nation, world, we know of individuals and groups who, whose priorities or positions or proclivities, they grieve us, provoke us, anger us. And sometimes we just hit a wall. Wondering how it is we are going to love that kind of person, those kind of people, whether they're inside our family, they're enemies, they're a whole group of people. But what if we stop pressing to figure out how to be Christ-like and loving toward an impossible person or people or situation? What if we started with this question, recognizing how significantly our home address shapes everything? Do we know ourselves firmly at home in our baptismal address? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do we have an anchoring sense that we abide in Jesus whose love is slowly but surely shaping our faith, our way, our actions? And so we step in confidence because of that. Oh. Or is it that on this particular morning or this particular week or maybe even this particular season, we sense ourselves far from home, maybe even unmoored? Maybe we, we cognitively know, theologically know we, we are in Jesus Christ, and yet we're, we're really not sure how much that address is shaping us, 
how near we feel or sense ourselves to that reality. Do you know the song Return to Pooh Corner by Kenny Loggins? So that song came on the radio the other day, and that is one of those songs that will transport me immediately back to 543 Chisholm Trail. I hear that song, and, and, and I will be back in that, that home and with my family to a point that I can smell it. I'll remember my own family, and I will sense something deeply about our own story and what makes us who we are. And now that's a lot to, to ask of any song, but, but that's also the power of music, isn't it? I think of how many I've seen wrestle with memory issues and dementia and how often it is music of all things that will draw forth a different kind of responsiveness or or recognition. Or or my own mom with her brain cancer last year where where a number of different uh, memories were difficult for her to access or keep in front of her for a long stretch of time. But, But play certain music, play certain hymns, and this smile of Deep awareness and knowingness would cut across her face. The music was a conduit of something profoundly anchoring. It was like watching someone discover their home again. Even when the circumstances certainly make it look as if that's the farthest thing from true. To me, the very existence of the Psalms testifies to the fact that it is frequently by way of poetry and music that the people of God are drawn afresh to remember in whom we live and move and have our address. And if you were to ask me to explain how it is something like the, the, the wonderful 150 psalms or, or, or worship music in general draws us home is so often a conduit of the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure I could put it into words. It's just something about the music playing and and, and the lyrics offering up uh, the promise that starts to cut through these otherwise hardened and calloused and fearful and anxious layers. And how often a space begins to open wherein we recognize a peace that transcends all understanding. We're resting into it. We're being shaped by it. A love stronger than death. We're resting into it. We're being shaped by it. We're discovering, as John 14 so wonderfully put it, we have not been left as orphans. He lives with us. He is in us. I mean, what about you? What does God often use to help you remember our baptismal address, Father, Son, Holy Spirit? Is music one of those spaces through which the Holy Spirit awakens you to the fact that we are not orphaned, we are not alone. In fact, we are very much live and move and have our being in Jesus who is this moment shaping us. Because what a gift when there is in this world a people who have been so shaped by their home address who is Jesus that as they encounter and engage with neighbors who may grieve them or provoke them or anger them or disturb them, they nevertheless show forth something so surprising, so unexpected, so undeserving. They show forth a magnanimous love because after all, that's where they're from and that's where they live. Amen. Amen.